Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. I think you would agree with me that it is impossible to put a price tag on friendship. Would you believe, would you agree with that? Yeah. Well, we've been made to have friends, we've been made to be a friend, we've been made for community. In fact, it's interesting that the relationships we have with some people in our lives are, are so significant that we often refer to them using family-type terms. And so, for example, Joe is an old friend. He's like a brother to me. Mary and I are very close. We're like sisters. Or John has been at my side for so long, he's, he's like my son. Good, close friends not only help us, they help transform us. In fact, you remember what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, he said, bad company corrupts good morals. Isn't that what he said? Well, good company promotes good character, courage and humility and strength, faithfulness, and in the spirit of Philippians, joyfulness as well. It's Proverbs 17, 17 that says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Close friends prop us up when we're weak, lift our spirits when we're down, and push us when we're tempted to quit or drop out. Friends motivate us, encourage us amid frustrations and challenges. Friends have our backs. And we shouldn't be surprised then that God's word is filled with references, accounts, and, and commendations of, of men and women who were faithful friends through thick and thin. And Paul certainly experienced this kind of friendship. Paul certainly gave out that kind of friendship to others as well. I think sometimes we're tempted to think of the Apostle Paul as some kind of rugged individual, as a man who didn't really need anyone per se. You know, a lone missionary risking all for the sake of the gospel. But that picture of Paul wouldn't even come close to being accurate or true. He was a man who needed, who wanted, and valued friendship. The friends involved directly or indirectly in his ministry of evangelism and church planting and teaching and even writing were in the dozens. Many names we've heard and others we haven't. From his letters alone, the list is massive. Over five dozen named men and women supporting, encouraging, or assisting Paul in the work of ministry. And these are just the ones that he happens to mention. <laughs> in this section of Philippians chapter 2, verse beginning at verses 19 through 30, where we will be this morning, Paul is still discussing the submissive mind and heart that we've been talking about. He has given us a description of selfless humility in the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We saw that in verses 1 through 11 here of chapter 2. 
He has explained the dynamics of sacrificial living from his own experience. And we saw that from verses 12 through 18. And now he is going to introduce us to two of his friends who were especially close to him, especially during his time under house arrest in Rome. These men brought him great encouragement, strength, and comfort, and joy. One he regards as a son, that is, of course, Timothy, and the other he considers as, as a brother. In fact, he refers to him, as we're going to see here, um, as a brother or a soldier, a faithful soldier, a fellow soldier in work terms of coming alongside Paul and working with him in ministry. So Paul brings these two good friends of his to the forefront for a very good reason. I think that reason is that he knows that his readers back in Philippi and perhaps even us today might be tempted to have thoughts and say things similar to this. It is impossible for us to follow such examples as Christ. Or even you, Paul. I mean, after all, Jesus is the Son of God, and Paul, you're the apostle. You've done and seen marvelous miracles. Paul, you're special. (laughs) There's no way we could be like you or Christ. And so I think Paul understands this. So therefore, he is going to introduce us to two very ordinary people. Two very ordinary saints. They weren't apostles. They weren't great preachers. They didn't perform supernatural miracles. They just were faithful, (laughs) devoted to Jesus and to one another and to the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's who these guys are. So for that reason, he's going to introduce us to these men. It becomes very important that we understand it is a necessity for the Christian life. Selfless humility, sacrificial living, that's what we've been talking about, a necessity for the Christian life, for Christian joy. And we must see and understand as an opportunity for all of us as believers in Jesus. So let's pick it up at verse 19. The first example we are being presented with is Timothy. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. It is interesting to note that in all Paul's writings, the friend and ministry companion mentioned more than any other person is Timothy. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul informs his readers that he would be sending Timothy to them from Rome in order to bring back to him personal news about the progress of the gospel of Jesus Christ within the city, within the church of Philippi. And so he considers Timothy as one who is like-minded with him. Now, you see that word there. It says in verse 20, I have no one else like him. That word is actually mean, means like-minded, okay? Not just like him, not, certainly not in terms of appearance or anything like that, but in terms of his desire for ministry and, and to serve God with all that is within him. 
his like-mindedness towards selfless humility and sacrificial living. And so, he's someone who has genuine affection for the church, even in Philippi. Timothy wasn't simply being told to go by the apostle. We know here and we can understand and assume and believe that Timothy wanted to because that's the kind of man that he was serving the kind of God that we have, amen, like we just say. And so since they had been ministering together for at this point over a decade now, Paul had been able to observe Timothy in a variety of situations and to see how he handled all types of and various challenges that life throws at us. He was tested. He was approved. He was, in fact, like a son, serving his father, as Paul will say here, in the family business, kind of like that. A relationship otherwise, in other words, even closer than a friend like a son. Paul first encountered Timothy around A.D. 50. We know this because of Acts chapter 16 where their ministry together is and their meeting is, is uh, on record for us. A.D. 50, during those first months of Paul's second missionary journey when he was traveling now with Silas. Paul arrived in the city of Lystra. This is where Timothy lived. And he had heard the believers talking about this young man who was quite the dynamic guy in terms of, of his love for Jesus and in terms of his willingness to just serve and be used by God. And so Paul hears about this, and so, you know, he's kind of like, okay, let me see who this guy is, and they hit it off. <laughs> and they began ministry and traveling together. And though, though Timothy's actual father had been a Gentile, he was a Greek, and it is presumed that he is an unbeliever, Timothy's father. He had been immersed in the Old Testament scriptures thanks to his Jewish mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois. Paul found in Timothy an ideal ministry associate. He was an individual much like himself, as we've noted, but we're going to see even more why that would be said by Paul. He's scripturally perceptive. He's a devoted follower of Christ. And here it is. Because of his upbringing, having a Gentile father and a Jewish mother, he has grown up with one foot into the Jewish world and another foot in the Gentile world, making him the perfect candidate to minister with Paul, whose ministry was, as we are told in Romans, to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile, making Timothy the, just the right guy for Paul. So while Paul considered himself primarily an apostle to the Gentiles, he always would go, whenever he hit a new city, we know this, right? He would first go to the Jewish synagogue and present Jesus, and then to the marketplace where the Gentiles would be found. In order for Timothy, however, to accompany Paul, something had to take place. Even though Timothy has a Jewish mother, his father is Greek, which means that there were certain things that the Jewish people did that the Greeks did not do. In order for Timothy to join Paul and be allowed and invited into the Jewish community, 
He had to do something that would have required a significant, I think, sacrifice on Timothy's part. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It required, it didn't require, it was voluntary, really. Not because it had to happen, but for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of ministry, for the sake of the benefit of others, Timothy allows himself to be circumcised as a young man. I like that because it, again, shows us the selfless humility and the sacrificial living that Timothy is willing to go. He's willing to set his own personal desire and interest and even comfort aside for the benefit of others. His willingness to do something that was not obligatory for Christians, that required a fair amount of sacrifice, not many would be willing to give. But was beneficial for ministry gives us, I think, insight, good insight into his passion for the mission, his willingness to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. Let's read on, verse 21. For everyone looks out for their own interests. Now again, coming from 19 and 20, he's, he wants to send Timothy, he plans to send Timothy. But then in verse 21, he says, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. I think we all know and again would agree the normal human way for all of us is the way of self-interest. I, it's like we are born with this innate ability to look out for number one, self-interest. Protect yourself, get what you need, and if time permits, then maybe think about helping others. Timothy lived a different kind of life. Like Paul... He put aside selfish interests. He concentrated on Christ's interests instead. He lived out the humble, self-giving life Christ had exampled, had exemplified. Timothy understood this was the call on everyone who was going to be a follower of Christ. Not just an elite few, but on anyone Everyone who's going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This is the call. This is the life that we are to live. Timothy was living testimony of the kind of Christian that Paul is encouraging and instructing the Christians in Philippi to be. Why he's eager to send Timothy there as well. Paul had witnessed as he has watched Timothy prove himself time and again as his faithful, caring friend and associate in ministry. Listen to what Paul wrote about Timothy when he was writing to another city, the, the city of Corinth, to the church at Corinth, because Paul was going to be sending Timothy there as well. He writes, for this reason, I am sending to you Timothy, my son, whom I love who is faithful in the Lord. 
And he will remind you of my life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. That's 1 Corinthians 4.17. Timothy was one who didn't have an agenda of his own. Did you hear that? He was willing to drop what he was doing in Rome with Paul and make the 40-day journey from Rome to Philippi. Timothy was a great friend because he proved himself to be consistent and loyal and dependable. Came across the story about Henry III. Now, when I researched this, I found out there are all kinds of Henry III's. There was a Henry III in England, and France had one, and so did Germany. The, this one we're talking about was the one who was the Bavarian king, the German king, back in the teen centuries, okay? It is said that when Henry III, considered to be one of the great German Bavarian kings, came into power, he was burdened by the responsibilities and demands of being king. Feeling pressure on all sides, he literally walked away from the throne. Where did he go? He went to a monastery is where he went. And getting there, he says, I want to contemplate God and worship the Lord. Understand this, Henry said, the abbot, the leader of the monastery, the first requirement of a monk is that he be in total submission. A monk's life is not his own. Can you submit to the Lord? And can you submit to trusting what I have to say? <laughs> Henry said, yes, I can. Then go back to the throne. <laughs> I'm instructing you to rule and serve where God has planted you. Henry did indeed return to the throne, becoming one of the greatest German kings of their history. The inscription on his tombstone gives us the reason. It says, Henry III, the king learned to rule and lead by being obedient. Such a man was Timothy. Such a man and woman we need to be. Would you agree? Yeah. There were certainly hundreds of other Christians in Rome that Paul could have called on, you know, and sent, but he writes, everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Wow. Not one of them, of all those others that would have been there in Rome, are available to make the trip. We read in verse 21, again, Everyone looks out. Everyone looks out for their own interests. I want you to hear this. In a very real sense, all of us live either in Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or we're going to live in 2.21, looking out for our own interests. Which will it be for you? Timothy had a genuine concern for the welfare of others. He had a servant's heart. It is too bad that the believers in Rome were too engrossed in themselves. 
their wants and desires that they had no time for the important work for the Lord Jesus Christ. Timothy was interested only in the spiritual condition of God's people. This is what Timothy was all about. He's the kind of man that you and I can exemplify. Again, for this very reason, he's been brought to the forefront with the next person that we're about to look at, letting us know that this isn't, again, just for the elite super few. It's for every single one of us. Having placed Christ, Paul having placed Christ and himself and Timothy as examples of selfless humility and sacrificial living before us, Paul now refers to one of Philippi's own, okay? The second close friend Paul mentions appears only here in this Philippian letter. And it is a guy by the name of Epaphroditus. How come none of you named your sons that? <laughs> I understand why. That's why I didn't name mine that. Actually, my son's name is Timothy. Epaphroditus, even though it's a brief snapshot, snapshot that we're given here, it's enough to give us a really clear picture of the kind of man that he was. To Paul, Epaphroditus is a fellow worker, as I said earlier, a fellow soldier, a messenger, and is like a brother. Let's pick it up at verse 25. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, and then see how he refers to him, my brother. Now, keep in mind, he wants to send Timothy, but that's not right at this moment. But in the moment, in the here and now, he's going to send Epaphroditus back to where he came from, okay? But I think it is necessary to send, us, to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. The late Scottish theologian and author William Barclay writes about the story behind Epaphroditus. The Philippian church had heard that Paul was in prison in Rome, that he was having a difficult time. So their hearts went out to him. They wanted to do something about that. They decided to do two things. They would take up an offering to help him with his physical needs, and then they would find someone within their own group to send to Paul in Rome to be there to come alongside him and to help him. It was the time to be spent was however long. There was no, you come back to us on such and such a time. He was there, and he was going to be there until, okay? So they decided to do that. I can just imagine the, one of two things happened there. Either they sort of got together and said, who are we going to send? Or it could have been Epaphroditus himself who came forward and said, in Isaiah style, here I am, send me. I love that. Very likely could have been how it came about. This brother, 
who would be, again, like Timothy, loyal, devoted, and committed to the ministry. Such a man would have to be willing to sacrifice and courageously brave. Why? Because by attaching himself to a man facing a capital crime, he would be leaving himself open to the charge and being imprisoned himself. By helping Paul, the man would be risking his own life. The man chosen, again, is Epaphroditus. While in Rome, Epaphroditus got seriously ill and, and came close to death. And so news of that illness had gotten back to Philippi. They become worried and concerned, and that got back to Epaphroditus in Rome. And now he's worried and concerned about them. They're both worried and concerned about each other. But thankfully, God had mercy on Epaphroditus, we are told, restoring him to health and relieving both the Philippians and Paul of their anxiety over him. Paul saw this as an evidence of God's mercy, not only in Epaphroditus' life, but in his own life as well, for he spared him of added worry and sorrow at a time when I think we would agree his sorrow cup is already pretty full while under house arrest. Let's read on now, verse 28 through 30. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So after gaining his strength, Paul felt, and without doubt for good reason, perhaps to keep his illness from recurring or maybe even the possibility of Epaphroditus being arrested, that Epaphroditus, Paul decides that he should send him back to Philippi. But the possibility of a problem existed. You see, Epaphroditus was sent to be with Paul and stay, maybe even until a verdict came down and he was going to be martyred. But by Epaphroditus showing up a little earlier than what anyone else would have expected could have been a problem for some. We know how people are, don't we? Some of you might even have been tempted to say what some of them would have been tempted to say. Paul's aware of that. He knows them. He planted the church there. And so he writes what he writes in verses 28, 30 to cut them off at the pass. They may have been tempted to say some things like, hey, what are you doing back here, quitter? Coward, you're such a failure. You quit on Paul. What are you doing here? The answer to this criticism, I think, is the very reason why we have verses 28 through 30. Paul gives a glowing report of this messenger that has been sent from Philippi. Paul painted quite a different picture of Epaphroditus, meaning he wasn't a quitter. There was no way he was a coward, not even close to being a failure. In fact, he was quite the opposite. And so Paul is encouraging the church in Philippi 
When he gets there, you welcome him in the Lord with great joy. In other words, Paul is saying, you welcome him just the way Jesus would welcome him. And then give him, and then people like him, honor. Epaphroditus was to be welcomed back, not as a loser, but as a homegrown hero of the faith. An example, therefore, to the rest of them. In chapter 2, Paul sets forth the humble examples now of Christ himself, Timothy, Epaphroditus, as models for you and I to emulate. His, he desires his readers to have an attitude of humility to the extent that they will unselfishly be Christ-like and serve, love, be there. Encourage one another. Are you willing to join the ranks of Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus and, of course, Christ? All the way back in 1981, Chuck Swindoll wrote a book, and it was called Improving Your Serve. Most of you probably might even have that book on your shelf. One of the things he said in the book was this, our world has become a large, impersonal, busy institution. We are alienated from each other. Although crowded, we are lonely, pushed together, but uninvolved. No longer do most neighbors visit across the backyard fence. The well-manicured front lawn is the modern-day moat that keeps barbarians at bay. Hoarding and flaunting have replaced sharing and caring. Painful though it may be for us to admit, we're losing touch with one another, Swindoll writes. The motivation to help, to encourage, yes, to serve our fellow human beings is waning. People have even observed crimes in progress but refuse to help so as not to get involved. Another writer writes, a reporter in San Bernardino, California, arranged for a man to lie in the gutter on a busy street just to watch how people would respond. Hundreds of people passed the man, but not one stopped to help him or even show an ounce of sympathy. Not one. Newspapers across the country a few years ago told about a 38 about how 38 people watched a man stalk a woman and finally attack her. None of the spectators picked up a phone to call the police, not one. A couple of teenagers in Detroit discovered a woman in a telephone booth who had suffered a heart attack. They carried her to a nearby house and rang the bell asking for help. The only reply they received was, get off my porch and take that woman with you. It is said that if you were to travel up I-395 through Washington, D.C. and cross over the Potomac, you will likely cross the Arlen D. Williams Jr. Memorial Bridge. Who was Arlen D. Williams Jr.? Well... On January 13, 1982, he gave hope to five individuals at the cost of his own life.
On that cold January day, Air Florida Flight 90 crashed into the icy Potomac. Ice on the wings is what prevented the plane from a successful takeoff. And almost all of the passengers passed away in that crash. Five different times, however, a helicopter dropped a rope, a line, you know, a rope to save Williams, the pilot. Five times, Williams passed the rope to other passengers who he thought were in worse shape than he was. When the rope was extended to Williams the sixth time, he was unable to take hold, having succumbed to his injuries and to the icy cold waters. His heroism was not a rash decision. Aware that his own strength was fading, he deliberately handed a rope that would have represented hope to someone else over the space of several minutes. The Lord Jesus Christ did not make a rash decision to give us life. Amen? That Jesus would be an atoning sacrifice for us was his destiny from eternity past. We need only take the lifeline that he has handed to us by his sacrificial death on the cross and follow his example of selflessness and love extending a rope of hope, if you would, to the others around us. Jesus, Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus together encourage us to submit ourselves to the Lord and to one another in the spirit of Christ. For after all, Christ is the pattern that we are to follow, and Christ provides the power for us to do it. Will you do it? Will you do it? Get yourself out of the way and allow Jesus to come and have control of our lives. Not about all of our own self-interest, but about his. Amen? Father, we come before you this morning, and once again, hopefully you have spoken to our hearts, and perhaps even there has been some conviction. In fact, I would say, I can't imagine anyone who is serious about living for Jesus having not been convicted in some way, shape, or form from what your word has told us here in this last part of chapter 2. We have been encouraged. We are being challenged to be men and women who will be devoted followers of yours, setting aside our own self-interests and taking up our cross, taking up your interests, God, and becoming by our very own lives and how we live a rope of hope to those who are still in darkness, to those who are dying around us without Jesus Christ. May we take seriously the gospel message. May we take seriously this whole idea of getting ourselves 
out of the way so that you can come and rule and reign in our lives and in our hearts that we might shine for you be the kind of devoted friend that you have called us to be to you Lord and to one another we pray this in Christ's name Amen Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado If you'd like to learn more about our community please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com So I will lift up